Hey, I'm Josh Smith, and welcome to another series of my podcast, Rain. If you're new here, first of all, where have you been, babe? But second, and most importantly, I'm so glad you are here now. This podcast is all about being the kings and queens of our own lives, and it's full of empowering stories from brilliant guests, as well as some incredible words to live by. And of course, a lot of lols too. We all look at our favourite celebrities and think they've got it all. And it's so easy to forget no matter who you are and what you do, ultimately we are all the same. In each episode, I'll be chatting to some of our favourite stars about the most human of experiences, how they've dealt with tough times and overcome them to reign over their lives. I've always found these conversations so inspiring, whether that's me making changes in my life, my relationships, or just getting my gym gear on. So I'm really hoping you will too. Welcome to Rain. In today's episode, we're joined by TV drama queen Joanne Froggart. Joanne has become one of the most in-demand actors since she burst onto our screens in Coronation Street in the late 90s, before rising to international fame playing Anna in Downton Abbey, where she won not only a Golden Globe, but she was also nominated for three Emmy Awards. Her next role in Liar became one of the most talked about TV shows, and she's now starring in the new ITV drama, Angela Black, where she plays the lead role of a woman haunted by her abusive partner. In this episode, Joanna opens up about the harrowing accounts of domestic violence she was told about whilst preparing for the role. How at one point in her career, she was just one mortgage payment away from calling it a day, and why she thinks it's time we all stop judging women by their ovaries. I couldn't agree more, and I love what Joanna has to say about sexism, so I hope you take just as much away from this chat as I did. Get those crowns at the ready. Well, hello, Joanne. How are you? Hi. I'm really well, thanks, Josh. How are you? I'm so excited to talk to you today because I've got a little bit of a confession. So when I was courting my boyfriend... I'm using the word courting. Let's make this Jane Austen. I love that you use the words courting. <laughs> I loved that you used that phrase. In, in, my, in my eyes, that's a phrase that should be used more often. <laughs> well, when I was courting my boyfriend during the beginning yes. of the pandemic, we used to time watching liar season two together so we would literally start oh. it and then watch it together and discuss it and we would be like oh my god i can't believe what's happening next so this is like a full full circle moment to have you on the podcast oh that's so lovely thank you i'm really well i'm really pleased that i'm really pleased you both enjoyed it and it, it is one of those shows where um you know you kind of want to discuss it afterwards isn't it it's one of those where you're like oh my goodness what happened yeah well did you see this did you, did you see, see this, this? Yeah. well babe you love a cliffhanger drama don't you because you're about to serve <laughs> us up the new blockbuster itv drama angela black do you just do you just look for scripts that have cliffhangers like keep us on our toes is this is this your is this like your niche um well, I don't know. It seems to be turning in, turning that way, doesn't it? But um, I so Jack and Harry Williams, who wrote Liar, who wrote both series of Liar, also wrote Angela Black. So the first time I worked with them was obviously on the first se- season of Liar, um, and you know they've done so many incredible shows that I, you know, if I listed them, would be here all day. But they are prolific um, television drama slash thriller writers and and they just they just do it so well you know they just 
um they just write these incredible stories that ri- that are just such page turners so um when i read they sent me angela black to read and um i read the first three episodes and i was just completely hooked um they sort of said you know would you be interested in this and i was like yes i'm in <laughs> straight away where do i sign yeah, yeah exactly well if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the show yet it follows Angela, who outwardly looks like she's living the perfect life in the perfect house, the perfect husband. But in fact, it's kind of a prison. Her relationship, the house she lives in, the life she leads, as she's trapped mentally and physically by her abusive husband. And her life is turned upside down, isn't it? When she discovers a secret when a private investigator taps her on the shoulder, basically, <laughs> and yes. tells her all about it. And aside from it being such addictive TV at its finest. Angela Black brings the fore a reality for so many, and that is domestic violence. And it really doesn't hold back when it comes to that. Like, I was watching it the other day, and the first five minutes, there's the most gruesome example of domestic violence, which just basically comes out of nowhere. And I was I was like, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm watching. When you read the script and you saw that was going to happen, what were your first reactions? And what did you kind of want to say with this project about domestic violence? Well, you know, Jack and Harry um, are incredibly timely with their issues that underpin their their dramas. Um, for instance, when we did Liar, you know, my character is sexually assaulted. And the first season aired, um, I think... I think we were sort of halfway through airing when everything came out about Harvey Weinstein and numerous other people and the Me Too movement sort of started to to grow. And, and um, so bizarrely, they, they had sort of pinpointed, you know, that issue of consent and... Um, sort of sexual harassment in the workplace and all of those all of those subject matters that that link into it they'd they'd pinpointed that as something that was still very much at the forefront and wasn't being talked about and again Jack and Harry wrote Angela Black before lockdown before the pandemic um so they had the idea and everything before any of that happened but obviously as we all know going through the pandemic you know domestic abuse has been an issue that has been at the forefront again because you know we've you know we're all lucky if we've been able to say oh yeah god another lockdown but Mm. i've got my garden and i've got my nice safe home to be in and you know and it's oh yeah it's really hard and yes it is hard but it's a damn sight harder if where you're living isn't safe and you can't get away if you're living in you know a confined environment that's also a dangerous environment there's no escape from it you know and to have to go through a lockdown in that kind of abusive relationship just to me is is just beyond brave and heroic and i i just you know i can't i can't you know i can't comprehend fully what that must be like of course none of us could unless we've been in that situation ourselves which hopefully we won't be but um yeah, so I, I really get behind Jack and Harry's writing in lots of ways, Maybe, you know, at the first and for, foremost, because it's um, incredible entertainment and it's mm. a great edge of your seat thriller. But also they really pinpoint these issues lying and uh, underlying that um, I just think are incredibly important. And it's a different way to get people to think about them or talk about them um, through entertainment. It's It's something that you know, maybe somebody else might see something on the news and just sort of brush it off because we can become a bit desensitised to that. Or, mm. you know, it's a subject matter that people haven't really thought about 
you know, lots of people say, oh, why don't you just leave, you know, when a person is in a domestic abuse sort of situation. And, you know, the the psychology of it is so much more complex than that. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's um, you know, it's like being terrorised in your own home and there's so much uh, psychological control that, that, that comes with it. And, and, you know, lots of these people are really in fear for them, for their lives and rightly so because, you know, the statistics show that the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic um, abuse is when they leave their partner. Um so yeah we we were really um fortunate to have women's aid on board um who gave us lots of pointers in the right right direction of lots of research material that I know they they were very hands on with Jack and Harry while writing the script because there's two men writing they wanted to make sure they were getting the female perspective right because in our story it's it's the female that's that's the victim of domestic abuse they did set visits they they sort of told me lots of research material i spoke to a few um of their counselors and different people that they work with so um yeah it was great to have their support and um keep checking in with them and be able to say obviously this is a piece of entertainment but are we underpinning this in something real mm. um, which they they helped guide us with which was great because mm. i was after watching it i went to women's aid actually and i went on the website and i looked at some of the stats around domestic violence in the UK and, and they are jaw-dropping. It's like an estimated 1.6 million women aged between 16 to 24 years have experienced domestic violence. On average, the police in England and Wales receive over 100 calls relating to domestic violence every hour. And only 18% of women who have experienced partner abuse in the last 12 months have reported it to police, which is just chilling. And when you're doing the research that you did what were some of the stories that you heard or the things that you learned about that really surprised you and shocked you yeah there's um I mean I read numerous books as as well from um different people I read Melanie B's book um Brutally Honest I read Katie Piper's book Beautiful um Women's Aid points me in the direction of a book by a, a woman called Mandy Thomas called You Can't Run and um Mandy is uh, someone I've never met, but I was so in awe of this woman from reading her account of her years living through domestic abuse. And it was an incredibly long period of time. And it's it's an incredibly um, honest and, um, you know, visceral account of what happened to her. And even she says that there's things she couldn't put in the book because they were just too unpalatable. And and also certain things that she just feels she could never talk about. And when you read that book, you think, I, I mean, I, God, can I can't imagine what those things are because what she went through was so incredibly extreme mm. and horrific that you sort of go, how is this woman still alive to tell the tale? I mean, and she 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 barely was. She nearly died numerous times. Um through through the attacks from her partner and she tried to get away from this man you know she she left numerous times and this was you know about 20 years ago when she first met him or 25 years ago I think um she was very young and um he just followed her and she'd be in a different um apartment with their children and he'd just break the door down and come in like and people say oh why don't you leave it's like well she didn't have a choice like wherever she went whichever new town she went to he'd track her down um he got he hacked into her medical records he 
um, changed her medical records. So when she'd been to the hospital, you know, there was the, there was no record of, of her going to seek treatment. And I mean, the extremities that this guy went to are just unbelievable. And that's why, because when I first chatted with Women's Aid about my research to play Angela, I said, obviously, no, we're a drama and it's a thriller and it's a very Hitchcockian sort of unravelling of this dark story and twists and turns. And I said, and obviously we go to lots of different places. And I said, how extreme are we going in in in, in fiction compared to how it, how extreme things can be in reality? And that's when the um, the lady I was speaking to put me onto Mandy Thomas's book, and she said, she said if you read Mandy's book, everything in your show, she said, can and does happen, and we've seen if not the exact, you know, the exact psychological mm. um, story that happens in our show, but things ever so similar. And she says, we see them all the time. She said, you will not believe the extremes that people go to, to, to have that psychological and physical control over somebody. And I'm, I'm very glad I read it. Mm. When you do that research, what do you think it has taught you about the way we as society treat and view victims? Because it's almost like they're disbelieved and then they have to prove what's happened to them is true. And that is just such a, pardon my French here, but a fucked up way that we still yeah. treat victims in our society. Yeah, it's so true. And unfortunately, speaking to the advisors, our advisors from Women's Aid, um, it doesn't seem to be changing for the younger generation. Like I was hoping, I said, you know, do you see, are you seeing less cases in this, in our sort of late teens, early twenties generation? And the, and they said no, it's 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 becoming prevalent again, and and the coercive control side of things, and um, so I'm a big advocate for you know education in schools, which I know Women's Aid have been pushing for, and um, legislation on on that issue because we we have sex education for kids at the appropriate mm. age and, and teenagers at the appropriate age. But why aren't we doing alongside that? It's absolutely essential that we do relationship education alongside that. You can't just teach somebody the birds and the bees. And if and if, if they're not getting a good example at home, where else are they going to learn it? Therefore, the cycle just keeps, you know, just keeps on going. And I think that would, you know, in, in my little, my ideal world, that would be, um, that would certainly be a help to, to, to understanding, you know, what, what victims going through instead of having this... Um, sort of blanket oh well why don't they just leave because it's like I say it's it's an issue that's you know that the tactics of coercive coercive control and a lot of um the mind games if you like that are that are played um are the same that that terrorists use to when they um have hostages I mean like it's not it's not like there's a handbook that you go okay I'm going to do this this and this but but certain people Mm. just naturally have that manipulative um streak um sort of streak yeah exactly yeah. and for whatever reason it's it's so there is sort of textbook things that that happen it, millions of people behave in the same way and but for like i say to, for people to actually understand that you know it's like living with a terrorist in your own home you know that extreme mm. cycle of, of violence and then so you're terrified for your life. You're terrified if you leave. There's also financial pressures. If you haven't got an income, if you're not the breadwinner of the household, how do you leave with your children? How do you support your children? And they're just going to come after you and follow you 
and make you come home and then you'll be in much more trouble than you were to start with so it, you know it's such a complex issue and I think people can be very blase about this and other things like you say that's sort of how we treat victims of you know whatever issue in in the media and you know socially I think it's so true because even on the topic of coercive behavior like I've I've actually personally experienced it myself I've been in a relationship where it was very and I didn't even realize and no one outwardly realized because I'm this super competent person I'm a positive penny so then I realized that my mind was being completely shifted and changed by this person and I was like oh my god it wasn't until I left that situation that I realized I was very lucky I didn't live with that person or anything like that but it was it's 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 honestly can affect so many different people especially that coercive behavior aspect exactly and it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to sort of stretch to the physical side of of abuse you know coercive Mm. control is is a is a form of abuse and yes we're being a bit more more sort of we're talking more about that issue you know as a society or we have been over the last couple of years um but that happens in any relationship you know and um and it it comes in very gradually. It's not like if you met someone and they mm. started to, to lay down the law to you or be really blatant about it, you'd be like, okay, see you later. But if, um, you know, somebody's charming and wonderful and then you fall for them and da-da-da, you know, it, they, it's, it's, it comes in slowly and it seeps its way in. And lots of people don't even, as you, as you said, don't realise it's happening to them. I think also it's so easy to see it as being justified. Like, if you're in that situation, you can easily be like, oh, it's because they're acting like that today or they're really stressed and so, you know, that's why they're doing it. Like, it's important mm. to realise that any kind of coercive, if anyone's listening to this and feels like they're dealing with this right now, like, it's important to realise that it's just not okay and to reach out and speak to someone if you feel that there is someone you can talk to about it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to know that those behaviours are not okay. Like, you shouldn't feel like you have to second-guess everything you do or say to to keep somebody else happy you shouldn't have to worry about what you're wearing or what time you're doing something or you shouldn't have nobody should be checking your phone without your permission and even with your permission mm. they shouldn't be asking to check your phone like you you are allowed your privacy and you're allowed your own thoughts and you're allowed to follow your own path in any relationship and you should want to do that for each other you should want to support each other's separate wants and needs and have the trust to be able to do so in my opinion i think for your work you continuously explore very tough topics like we mentioned earlier with Lia, where you played laura she was a victim of sexual assault dalton abbey anna was another victim of sexual assault and what is it like to explore that level of trauma like and how do you manage to not take it with you and has there been times you've taken it with you um although this might sound like silly um I actually don't sort of search out those roles but they seem to sort of come Mm. to me in a way um obviously with Anna on Downton you know she that uh, that storyline where Anna was was raped was um in season four so obviously I'd done three seasons before where I had no idea that that was ever going to happen to her so she was you know she just started off as as the character I was playing that was falling in love with Mr. Bates and then obviously their story developed. But I was really behind the show for doing that. I just thought, what a really brave subject to tackle for a show like Downton, which was is everybody's kind of lovely Sunday night, you know, kind mm. of warm hug, um, you know, family viewing. And I thought, 
yeah, you know, we should be tackling this issue. And um, and then when Liar came my way, um, you know, I, I did I did have slight reservations about tackling a sim- the same subject matter, obviously in a different time period, a very different kind of show. Um, so soon after Downton, after I'd finished Downton, it was probably about three or four years after I did that that season of Downton. Um, but I just read the script and it was so brilliantly written. And I really strongly believe that we that I should never shy away from something because, you know, it's a controversial subject matter in some way, as long as it's for the right reason, you know. Um, mm. And so I feel like I have an extra responsibility when I take on something like Liar or Angela Black that I I want to do as much research as I possibly can. I need I need to do the story justice. I need to do the character justice because the one thing I is my worst nightmare that I that I worry about and and have nightmares about sometimes when I'm filming is somebody sat, sat at home sort of saying, um, "Well, I've been through something very similar to that, and she's not she's not playing that honestly, or she's I don't believe that." The reason we're telling these stories, unfortunately, is because they they're still happening everywhere all over mm. the world all of the time you know it's not one it's not our little corner of the world that it happens in you know every every now and again this is all the time everywhere and you know if we don't start discussing it as a society and start saying you know that start saying that this is you know not socially acceptable behavior then nothing ever changes but you deserve all the credit for how thoughtful these performances are and you are a queen (laughs) (laughs) in your own right but who has passed the crown onto you and inspired you oh bless you um who has inspired me the most I guess my you know my parents in a lot of ways just with the mind with the sort of values they they brought me up with professionally lots of people too many to mention whether it's people I've worked with or people that and had personal experiences with, or people that I've sort of viewed from afar. I think at the moment, in terms of sort of industry-wise, are people like Michaela Cole and um, you know my contemporaries like Billy Piper doing you know incredible oh, work and producing and directing and Michaela Cole writing and taking over the world and you know Phoebe Waller-Bridge and. And I'm loving this. I'm loving this new wave of, you know, super intelligent, super talented young women that are that are, you know, just sort of taking taking over a little bit. And um, yeah, I think that's really inspiring. Daisy Haggard, yeah, yeah. There's just queens everywhere at the minute, which is the best thing, and it's such a great thing to celebrate. Well, Joanne. Queen Joanne, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> and while we take that break, you can polish that crown, honey, because you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Josh, I will. <laughs> so welcome back, Joanne. I follow you on Instagram, and one of the things that I loved that you posted last year is when you turned 14, you made this amazing post, and the words you wrote were so amazing and guys if you haven't seen it go to Joanne's page look it up but one of the quotes which was amazing we said as a woman especially in this industry I am I felt that 40 was seen as a negative milestone and you go in to talk about the sexist things that people have kind of said to you or the questions that gone around in your head what kind of turning that milestone what kind of sexism did you in your head come up against and outwardly come up against and 
when you took a step back, you're just like, this is just ridiculous that we're still having to face these questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, as I said in my post, I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but, you know, from the age of 38, 37, possibly, you know, whenever I've been doing publicity for, for my work or anything else, I've just been constantly asked about, are you going to have children? When are you having children? Um, oh, you better get on with it. Or, you know, oh, how are you feeling about turning 40? Um I, I don't know, it hasn't happened yet. Ask me when it happens. Like, it's just, you know. Um, also, you know, about my looks and how I feel about the way I look constantly and um, do I feel I'm attractive enough? And and I, honestly, men, and, I, and I'm not just saying this as a sweeping statement, I can guarantee it. I don't think any man I've ever worked with, if you ask them, because I ask them all the time, all my male colleagues, who think also think this is ridiculous, they never get asked those questions. Like, I haven't mm, found a male colleague yet that has been asked those questions. So it's purely, you know, if they do it just looking at the female perspective. And um, it's like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, stick a paper bag on my head and never leave the house as soon as I turn 40? I'm like, guys, this is ridiculous. I'm so happy in my own skin. I'm definitely the most comfortable with myself I've ever been in, you know, after turning 40. I'm proud of it. I'm wiser. I'm, you know, I've had so many wonderful and not so wonderful life experiences, just so many life experiences and so many more things to, you know, to hopefully pass on. And I feel good about that. I don't know why that's a negative. You know, it's like we're as women, we still have to be, um, you know, reduced to whether we're attractive to other human beings or not, you know, and whether it's, you know, because really it comes down to, oh, when you get over 40, will you still be attractive? You know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than that, actually. You know, I'd like to be judged on my sense of humour, my personality, my intelligence, my talent, the things I've achieved. And if someone thinks I'm nice to look at, great, you know. But if somebody said to me, what's, um, you know, if... If somebody said to me, what would you like someone to come away when they first meet you? I would want and, and say was say the best thing about me. I would want them to say it was my personality. I wouldn't want them to say, oh, she looked quite nice, but she was boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it just makes any sense to me. And don't get me wrong, I like to you know make the best of myself as we all do. And I'm very happy with the way I look. But um, yeah, I just I just find it really constantly amazing that we still as I say, sort of shrink women down in the media to to purely, you know, their looks or how old they are or how well their ovaries are doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's and also <laughs> how anyone's ovaries are doing is none of anyone's business. So don't come exactly. asking those questions. Like It's such a personal question. I know. And I see it in my friendship groups and even people ask it amongst each other. I'm like, guys, it's no one's business. Just yeah. like, keep it to yourself. That's what I always say, because, you know, I think it's, again, I think it's crazy that people think it's okay to ask that. Like, I'd never ask people that mm. just in, when I when I meet them. It's like saying, you wouldn't say to somebody, oh, have you started, you know, are you menopausal? <laughs> or you wouldn't say to, somebody, <laughs> to a man like, you wouldn't say to a guy, oh, are you at that age? Are you struggling with, you know, one or two things? Yeah. <laughs> like in the bedroom. Uh, I mean, you never Can you still get it up, babe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, is it is it still working? Um, I mean, you just <laughs> wouldn't. And to me, it's the same kind, it's the same kind of, you know, level of, of personal question. But for some reason, it's, it's okay to ask. So there you go. Rant over. <laughs> 
Well, the age thing is so funny, even on like, in my life, as a gay man, I remember when I was 28, and this 19-year-old came up to me in bar, and he was talking to me, and I was just like, and I wasn't interested or flirting, I was just like, oh, how old are you? And he went, 19, he was like, how old are you? And I went, oh, I'm 28, and he went, oh my god, you're a daddy. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, I'm 28, <laughs> babe. Like, literally, I, I was like, I've got... I'm in my prime. And he was looking at me like I was like oh. a dinosaur in the National History Museum being like, <laughs> like a fossil. I was like, this is just grim. But I mean, babe, you've been working since you were 16 and you were in Coronation Street, no less. And that's a huge role in itself. And then, then you go on to have this huge international success with Downton Abbey. And I mean, success doesn't even really cover it. Like the, the, the how big that show was and still is it's like just been released on netflix and it's in the top 10 like i was like has everyone not watched this yet like i I watched it backwards and forwards like people just love it how how amazing has it been to go on that journey of your career because i think I i mean i'm bigging up all your achievements here but behind the scenes behind the achievements there's so many no's as well isn't there when have you had to dig the deepest to find your resilience Oh my goodness! There are so many no's along the way that obviously nobody um, nobody hears about because they're no's, so you don't get to to, to see them. Um, you know what you do? You have to be really. You have to learn to be really resilient as in this kind of industry, um, especially as an actor, because you're constantly auditioning. And I mean, you know, I audition less definitely um, in the UK now. Um, but I'm, I still audition all the time for the States. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a constant cycle of, um, yeah. Or they, you know, they really like you or that's it. And you get close and then they go with somebody older, younger, taller, you know, it it just, it it can be anything. Um, whatever it is, it doesn't matter because they, you know, or just whoever's they've seen in the part or whatever that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I can't even tell you how many auditions I've done over the years, like thousands, thousands. So um, over the last twenty four years, so um, yeah, obviously I haven't done thousands of jobs, but I've but I've, I've you know I've done very nicely, and the jobs I have um, done and taken on have um, I'm really really proud of, you know. So um, and Downton was just the most incredible experience. It was, um, it, we just, none of us could have dared ever dream that it would be as as sort of popular as it, as it was and still is. And as you say, because I saw that it had come on Netflix and I was like, oh my God, it's, it's in the top 10. Hasn't everyone seen it? But keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, oh, this is so lovely. Keep People watching, please, Hans. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's just wonderful. And it's so lovely when when I meet people and they go, oh, it's given me so much joy. It's given us so many hours of joy. And that's just a lovely thing to, you know, with a show like Downton, that is a show that you can watch as a family and different generations can all sit down together and you can watch it with your gran and your 12-year-old and your, you know, your mum and dad and whoever. Um, I think there was that real sort of family connection um, with Downton. Lots of people come up t- uh, to me and say, Oh, me and my mum used to watch it, or me and my grandma, or it's sort of yeah. like they've they've enjoyed that as as a part of their relationship. And I just think that's just such a such a lovely thing to think that we've all 
we've all been a part of that. So that makes me smile. It's so special. But when you look back at your career, is there kind of like a no or a period of time that felt very negative at the time, but now looking back has ultimately empowered you to become the empowered person you are today? Yeah, there's definitely been a few. I mean, over the years, I remember when I was younger, because I obviously started when I was 16 and professionally and touch wood. I still touch wood. Um, I've managed to um, support myself financially since the age of 16 just through acting. But my goodness, there were a few points where I was doing it by the skin of my teeth. I remember sort of in my early 20s, I think I had one mortgage payment left in the bank. And um, I just thought, oh, right, I'm going to I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and get another job. And I can't do anything else. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and then a job came in. I, I, land, I landed a job just by the skin of my teeth. And, um, you know, there was definitely, there's definitely the odd year here and there where I've um, been transitioning in terms of age and sort of casting age because I started off playing teenagers. And then when I transitioned into the more adult roles, I had a quiet patch for about a year where people weren't sure whether I was still playing teenagers or I was going to play early 20s. Um, there's often those points, I think, and you know, I'll, I'll get. I'm sure I'll get them again in in a, in a lesser, you know, hopefully in a much lesser, <laughs> less lesser stressful way. But um, but you do you, you as you evolve and um, you you'll hopefully your talent evolves and your life evolves. Then then so does your work, and and sometimes there definitely are those little transitional periods. When you think about those transitional periods where you're questioning what's going on. And now you're sat here as a Golden Globe winner, which is so incredible. How surreal does that feel? It's so funny because people always ask me about it and I kind of forget until people ask me and then I get a big smile on my face. I go, oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> not forgotten, but it's not something, it's not something I think about in my day-to-day life. I don't sort of wake up and go, yeah, I'm a Golden Globe winner. Um, because it's, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it's so wonderful. And when I talk about it, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, that actually happened. I, I really, I think I did actually pinch myself when I came stage. <laughs> You're like, the one time in my life that I was like, I actually, this actually feels so surreal that it feels like it could not be real. But yeah, it was um, it was an incredible experience and, and something I'm just, I'm so proud to, to have on the CV, absolutely. Yeah, that was stunning top of the CV. But I think it's so important to actually take a moment to celebrate those moments because I think as people, we're so used to not celebrating our achievements at risk of seeming like it's a negative thing. And I think sometimes we need to take pride in ourselves and not just dig around for the negatives all the time, right? Exactly. And, you know, I've got a very self-deprecating sense of humour because I'm from the north of England. We mean, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of, in, it's, it's bred into us. But but I do think that was one nice, one thing I learned from sort of spending time in the States that they really celebrate success in a way that us Brits don't. Us Brits are a little bit sort of embarrassed about success. And I think maybe somewhere in the middle is the the best place to be, you know, that, yes, of course, be, you know, empathetic to other people's situations. You don't want to be like, hey, guys, look at me. Aren't I great? You know, but at the same time, um, we shouldn't be embarrassed about our, our achievements or our failures because they're the things that make us who we are today. And they're the experiences that have, have got us to now. And we, you know, we shouldn't sort of berate ourselves too much for the negatives or cele- over-celebrate ourselves. But we should be, pr- we should, you know, we should be allowed to be proud of the good stuff. Mm, definitely. And speaking of things to be proud of, 
You got Downton Abbey two coming out this Christmas, babe. <laughs> you don't stop. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, actually, it's March now. It's not going to be out till March, but we've we've oh. filmed it. It's in the can. Yeah, it's in the can. No, it's in it, the it can. was Christmas, but they've moved it back. We've moved. Yeah, it's moved back. It was. It's just going to be so nice. Um, I think it's coming at a great time because obviously everyone's had. A, I mean, let's be honest, a pretty rubbish couple of years, and um, I think it's really nice timing that hopefully the fans of the show can sort of check in with the characters and sort of feels like. Uh, like having a nice warm hug. I always think Downton's really, you know. <laughs> it does. Of, um, yeah, it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? And so I really hope that we, you know, we can do that for people for a couple of hours out of their t- out of their day. And we need some Maggie Smith one-liners in our life right now. Do you know what I oh, mean? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> always. And just before you leave us, we have one final question, which is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you will always live by? Oh, the one rule that I will always live by. Be kind and... Um, oh, that's two rules. Hang on. Have a go. <laughs> you can put them together, babe. Be kind and have a go. That sounds really wrong. <laughs> but I think... To clarify... Um, I... <laughs> Well, my dad has this saying, okay, I'll, I'll put it in better words. My dad has this saying, which I always think is, is rather fantastic. And it's a sort of old Yorkshire thing. Oh, I think it is. Or maybe just my dad made it up. I've got no idea. Um, but he says his his motto is, you've got to chuck a brick and run after it, which means you have to have a go at anything you want in life. You've got to just give it give it a shot. So I guess that would be my my one mantra. I love that. I'm off to go chuck a brick, obviously safely, and go chase <laughs> after it, because that is a great saying. It's hilarious, isn't it? My dad's got many of them. I should bring out a book about my dad's un- not well-known phrases and saying. We'll get your dad on the podcast for a bonus episode at one point. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's got some interesting ones. <laughs> well... Joanne, it has been the best talking to you today. I just think you're incredible. Your work's incredible. Meeting you for the first time virtually over this way has been incredible. And just keep being a queen, babe. Thank you, Josh. Well, I'm going to keep my crown, my pretend crown. And um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to enjoy wearing it for the rest of the day. Thank you. (laughs) Stunning. Thank you so much for joining me for another incredible episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this chat. And if you have, let me know. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. And the Royal Email Bag is always open for your problems. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow. And ultimately, please share this conversation with someone you think needs to hear it. It might just open up the conversations you never knew you needed. And if you've been affected or would like to know more information about the issues raised in this podcast, please visit womensaid.org.uk.